This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Beyond Reasonable Doubt on BBC Radio 5 Live. Hello, Chris Warburton here. We're on to episode 10 of Beyond Reasonable Doubt, and this one is called The Return of Dwayne Deaver. Right, it is February the 17th, 2010. Michael Peterson, now some seven years into his sentence, spends some of the day teaching literacy to his fellow inmates at the Nash Correctional Facility. There is better news for another prisoner elsewhere in North Carolina. Greg Taylor has been in prison for 16 years, having been found guilty of the brutal murder of a young woman called Jaquetta Thomas. On this day, February the 17th, 2009, Greg is sitting in front of three judges in Raleigh who have conducted a judicial review of his case. In view of the decision by the panel and pursuant to GS 15A-1469, it is ordered that the relief sought by Gregory F. Taylor, the convicted person, is granted and the charge of first-degree murder of Jaquetta Thomas on September 26, 1991, against Gregory F. Taylor is dismissed. Signed this day, February 2010. This matter, this court is now adjourned, signed it out. Greg Taylor is now a free man, completely exonerated of the murder of Jaquetta. Innocent. Not simply not guilty, but innocent. Greg's case was supported by the North Carolina Centre on Actual Innocence. Here's Christine Mummer from the group. Greg's case was closed to the courts. He had been through the appeals. He had been through the federal courts. He had been through post-conviction motions. He had asked for DNA testing. He had asked for every part of relief that was available to him. And so he needed the Innocence Inquiry Commission. He needed access to these files, uh, to the prosecution's reports, of the investigation reports, um, he would not be standing here today without the Innocence Inquiry Commission, and I hope every other state in the country will take notice uh, that this type of system is necessary across the country. On the night of September the 25th, 1991, Greg and a friend had parked their SUV in a wood to smoke crack cocaine. When they tried to drive off, the SUV had got stuck in the mud, so they left it there and went home. The following day, when Greg returned for his vehicle, the police were near where he had parked, having discovered the body of 26-year-old Jaquetta Thomas, who had worked in Raleigh as a prostitute. Greg told police he thought he may have seen the body the night before. He was arrested, charged and convicted of Jaquetta's murder. In court, an SBI agent, that's the State Bureau of Investigation, said that a stain in the SUV was blood. It was the only physical evidence linking Greg to the murder. Follow-up tests showed it wasn't blood at all, but these results, incredibly, weren't revealed to the jury. 6,149 days later, nearly 17 years later, Greg was now belatedly free. I've been in prison now close to 17 years. Our life goes on. This whole thing was rotten from the beginning. No weapon, no witnesses. That's when the nightmare really began. 
I absolutely did not kill Jaquetta Thomas. That's the official trailer for a major documentary made by WRAL on the outcome of the case and the long road to innocence. Joe Neff is a hugely respected investigative reporter at the News and Observer in North Carolina. Well, in, in uh, 2009, 2010, a colleague and I worked on s- uh, a number of stories about the State Bureau investigation. And one of the stories that I focused in on was a murder trial uh, near Winston-Salem, west of here. Uh, and in that case, uh, a, a, a prominent dentist in town named Kirk Turner had, sl- had, uh, had killed his wife in, in an outbuilding on their horse farm. And the story was is that they were going through a bitter divorce. He had served her papers that day, and the wife responded by uh, attacking him with a nine-foot-long spear, jabbed him through the thigh twice, almost caught his privates, which I think that she was aiming for. Uh, and initially, the police said, well, this was self-defense. Uh, he pulled a knife from his pocket and, and slashed her in the throat and blood everywhere, and she was dead within a minute. Got her, cut her carotid artery. My understanding is that the sister of the victim was pressing the prosecutors. He killed her. He killed her. It was deliberate. So the prosecutors met with two agents from the State Bureau of Investigation, Dwayne Deaver, who we know in the uh, uh, Peterson case. Sorry, who was that? Dwayne Deaver who we know in the uh, uh, Peterson case, and uh, Gerald Thomas, who is one of Deaver's protégés. Ah, right. Carry on. And they changed their story from being self-defense to it being a deliberate uh, attack with a knife. And that the key evidence was a blood stain on Kirk Turner's shirt. Uh, the T-shirt... Uh, was cut off by uh, the emergency responders the evening of the murder as they took the, uh, the, the wife was dead and Kirk Turner was bleeding all over the place from his leg. They cut it off. Dwayne Deaver and Gerald Thomas looked at the T-shirt and agreed with the prosecutor's proposition. The prosecutor's hypothesis, well, this looks like a knife stain on the shirt. So Dwayne Deaver takes the shirt back to the SBI lab, looks at it. Gerald Thomas puts on a uh, clean T-shirt of the same type, and Dwayne instructs his colleague to drizzle some blood along the edge of the knife and wipe it on the shirt. First time they do that, Dwayne Deaver's not very satisfied. Let's do it again. Dribble it right along the edge. He, Gerald Thomas wipes it on the shirt, and Dwayne Deaver responds on tape, wow, that's a good one. Holy cow. That's a wrap, baby. And that was it. That was all the forensic science. They did two little swipes. Uh, and there are so many problems with this that, you know, slicing someone's carotid artery, what does that have to do with drizzling a little bit of blood along the edge of a blade to reproduce this mark on the shirt. And the other thing is that crime scene photos showed that initially the shirt was just crumbled up in a pile and then was laid out to dry. And when it was crumbled up, the blood on the shirt formed a mirror pattern. And that's what reputable blood spatter analysts will say. So the experiment that um, 
Dwayne Deaver performed that day has become somewhat legendary in this field of bloodstain pattern analysis that it's shown at their annual meetings as how not to do the work. They were creating, almost like a movie producer, creating a representation to fit the prosecution theory. In the end, Kirk Turner was acquitted. I want to first thank God for all that he's done for me. Uh, it's been a hard 23 months. Uh, I've had faith in the criminal justice system and it just took 23 months to get vindicated. David Rudolph saw that story and, and using the power of subpoena, he got all of Dwayne Deaver's personnel records. He got the, the, all the cases that Deaver had worked on before. A lot of information that, as a reporter, I can't get, but as a, as a defense attorney, he can get. Rudolph uncovered some amazing things about Dwayne Deaver's history. Stop it right there. Now, how did you determine that you were going to strike that source of blood from behind the stairway? I wanted to see what it would do from that side. And why is that? Just simply as an observation. If you watch my cross-examination of Deaver... It went on for days, and I knew he was lying, but here was the problem I had. Every time I would put a textbook in front of him and say, well, this says the opposite of what you're saying, he would simply say, well, that's wrong. My question is, was your theory here that Michael Peterson was standing somewhere outside the stairway, leaning in, and doing swings like that? Yes or no? No. Let me ask you this. If somebody was hitting a source of blood right there and they brought it back, where would the cast-off go? Again, there's many variables on, on, on that also. Uh, if the weapon were, were swung uh, in, uh, and not a full roundhouse swing, there probably wouldn't be a cast-off. If the weapon had been cleaned in between swings, there wouldn't be a cast-off. Uh, well, let me those types of things. In other words, if somebody was beating to some, somebody to death and they hit him once, and then they took a towel and wiped down the weapon, and then brought it back, then there wouldn't be cast off. Uh, that's correct. Gotcha. He would go on and on. I'd ask him a simple question. And he'd go into a soliloquy and go on and on and on. And it got to the point where the judge finally had to keep telling him, no, answer Mr. Rudolph's questions. At that time... He was just stonewalling very successfully. So there's now a question mark, to say the least, over the evidence of Dwayne Deaver. Here he is on Aphrodite Jones' true crime series on Discovery, talking about what he found at the scene. I noticed a bloody fingerprint on a cabinet in the kitchen. And anytime there's blood anywhere, I'm very interested in that. So I went over to the cabinet and I saw that it was a cabinet with wine glasses. My thought was, why would someone with blood on their hands go to the cabinet with wine glasses? It just seemed odd. Agent Diva was certain that Kathleen's injuries weren't caused by a fall. Could a fall produce these very mist-like, minutia type of blood stains, and then also these other blood patterns that spattered that went up to the ceiling? I took into account that she fell all the way from the top step to the landing, uh, which I measured, I think, at 12 feet. Is it possible that you can create impact spatters from a fall? Yes. Um, 
a person who falls from the top of the Empire State Building is going to create an impact spatter. But we're talking about the fall from the height of the individual. He was equally certain the scene at the foot of the stairs at 1810 Cedar had been staged. Again, a long distance from where this cabinet was, there was an open bottle of wine and then there was a smudged or used wine glass with wine in the glass. That got my curiosity up more. Uh, in the bar sink was a pot of pasta and I simply picked the pot of pasta up and looked down in the sink and smelled the, the smell of alcohol. And, uh, and when I looked around, I said, hmm, this does not look right. So Michael Peterson, in most likelihood, went, got two wine glasses, put wine in, poured the rest of the wine down the sink to make it appear that she had been drinking more than she had. Someone did something. You remember the case I mentioned at the beginning, Greg Taylor? Well, you're probably way ahead of me, but have a guess who the SBI agent was who failed to report the tests, which showed there was no blood on Greg's SUV. Step forward again, Dwayne Diva. There is an amazing moment at the hearing where a colleague of Dwayne Diva recounts that uh, in this uh, uh, Greg Taylor case from Raleigh, Diva insisted that his colleague identify a substance as blood from a photograph. And the colleague is like, no, we have to actually have the physical sample, we have to test it, there are lab things you have to do to tell if it's blood. And Deaver said, no, 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 you can do it from a photograph. And that was, it was astounding, that this is someone who is admitted as a blood expert in court. It was so obvious that his experiments were junk and that his, and that his uh, conclusions were made out of thin It was obvious to me. And I couldn't believe that a jury wouldn't see it as well, but they didn't. So in a cell in the Nash Correctional Facility, prisoner Michael Peterson may be about to get some good news. Two appeals turned down, but now a glimmer of hope for the convicted murderer. Dwayne Deaver's evidence didn't stand up. He was the witness who said that the blood at the foot of the stairs proved Kathleen was beaten, and that the blood on Michael's shorts proved he was the one in close proximity to her when she died. Freda Black described Deaver in court as tried and true, and that to clear Michael Peterson, you'd have to believe that Deaver was a liar. Well, as David Rudolph says, guess what? Eight years into his life sentence, Michael Peterson is heading back to court again. I think legally it had to be. I think for the jurors, probably more than that testimony, they were moved by seeing the crime scene. They were moved by seeing the photos of Kathleen's body, of seeing Michael Peterson's shorts with blood on the inside of the pants leg, of seeing his shoes with drips of blood on them, with if you're going to try to resuscitate someone, you are going to be over them, not under them. So the blood would not be dripping on you. There was an awful lot of evidence that didn't touch Deaver's hands, that uh, stood on its own. Investigative journalist Joe Neff said the jury in the original trial listened to all the revelations, but it was Diva's evidence that swung them. Oh, I think it probably 
contributed to the conviction and that uh, it would give motive. I think that that's what the uh, the financial hardship, uh, the the pornography, the gay uh, callboy, uh, all of that served, I believe, the prosecution to besmirch Mike Peterson's character to give him a motive. But I think the case really boils down to the the physical evidence, the blood in the stairway, the cleaned up blood in the kitchen, and the wounds on Kathleen Peterson's head. That is, in my lay opinion, that is the crux of the case. There would have been no case not only no conviction, there would have been no case against me if it hadn't been for Dwayne Deaver. In Dwayne Deaver's um, early training on that, the feedback was that he was too pro-prosecution and that he was too certain of himself and was not open to changing his mind. That came very early on, I think in the late 80s. So there was a red flag in his personnel file at the SBI, and that is not the role of a scientist or someone performing a scientific function. It's, here's the results, I don't have an, a, a, an interest or an investment in it. Whether it comes out innocent, guilty, I don't care. As Michael Peterson prepared to face Judge Orlando Hudson yet another time, Dwayne Deaver's career at the SBI was over. In 2011, he is fired from the SBI. His lawyers argue that he's being made a scapegoat for the agency's shortcomings. But after an independent audit of the agency found shortcomings in Deaver's evidence in 34 cases, the North Carolina-born agent had to go. They shut down all blood spatter work within the SBI. That does not, they do not do that anymore. They went through all their regulations and protocol and training, and they found some significant problems in their the manual that trained uh, SBI agents on how to testify in court said that you, it had language like the, the defense lawyers, they'll try to trick you. The defense lawyers are prostitutes. The uh, language like that. And it, it, it had embedded in the training protocols was a pro-prosecution bias for the SBI lab. The, the, the agency has rewritten um, all those protocols has purged that language, has acknowledged that they have no um, role in, in taking sides in the courtroom. And, and one of the things they used to be, the lab used to be called the State Bureau Investigation Crime Laboratory. Uh, they've renamed it to the North Carolina Crime Laboratory, that it belongs to everyone, both the prosecution and the defense. Durham novelist convicted in 2003 of killing his wife is arguing he should get a new trial. Mike Peterson says the former SBI agent who testified against him is a fraud and the testimony should have been and never have been allowed. Aaron Hartness spoke with Peterson today from prison in Nash County. Mike Peterson spends his days exercising... Later that year, in December, nearly 10 years to the day since Kathleen had died, David Rudolph leads the defence team in a hearing in an attempt to get a retrial for his client. It takes five days, but in the end, Judge Orlando Hudson decided that Michael Peterson should get a new trial. As his verdict becomes clear, Michael puts his hand over his face in what looks like shock and disbelief. Behind him, his sons Todd and Clayton hug... The Ratliff sisters cry with joy. 
in the press area, as she had been since day one of the original trial, was Julia Sims of WRAL. I think people were very surprised that that conviction was overturned. I mean, this had already been going on for so long. He had served, you know, eight and a half years in prison. People were were dismayed. And they were shocked. Um, of course, you know, you had Mike, Michael Peterson's supporters who said, look, this is, day is a long time coming. This, he never should have been in jail or in prison for the first place. So, so they weren't surprised. Um, but I think a lot of people were disheartened. For the first time, we're getting a look at strong statements made by the judge who granted a new murder trial for Mike Peterson. The judge says the state should have been aware a key witness in the Peterson trial inflated his credentials and performed unscientific experiments. I was in New York when I found that news out, and I, I was so stunned that this was going to be, um, that he was going to have the opportunity to get out and have an ankle bracelet in, in awaiting a new trial. And I also interviewed Judge Hudson, and I knew that Judge Hudson felt certain this man was guilty. I interviewed him after the fact. And there was no question in his mind that justice had been served. So for me, when he had been let out on this technicality, I thought there would be a new trial. I thought he would still be found guilty on a new trial. I thought absolutely that this wasn't the end of it for Michael Peterson, that he would live with an ankle bracelet. He would live as a prisoner in his own house and that ultimately he would be retried and would be found guilty again. And the FBI declined to comment today on this order. Now, as for Mike Peterson, he's out of jail on bond, awaiting a new trial, and Judge Hudson's ruling is currently on appeal. Jackie. Aaron Hartness reporting live from our Durham newsroom. Thank you, Aaron. Caitlin Atwater, Kathleen's daughter, appeared as a guest on the Nancy Grace Show. Nancy is a former Atlanta prosecutor on Headline News a few days later. He's home under house arrest, and... And she's dead because of him. Caitlin, I want to talk to you about not only what happened to your mom, but about what happened at the trial. Because I truly believe that the prosecution is going to retry Michael Peterson. All right? And I'm not saying Deaver is good. I'm saying Deaver's bad. All right? He patted his resume. He exaggerated some of his testing techniques. That does not in any sense of the word, mean that Michael Peterson is innocent. All right. Could you tell me a little bit about the $1.5 million life insurance to which Michael Peterson was the beneficiary? Um, I mean, the, what, like, like you said, thank you for saying that, you know, what happened with Deaver is is not necessarily good, but it doesn't change a lot of the evidence. And there certainly was a, a big strain going on in my, my mom and Michael's life around the time of her death. Michael Peterson is a free man. Well, if you count free as being under house arrest and having to wear a tag, that is. Oh, and the house isn't the luxury of 1810 Cedar. That was sold years before to pay legal bills. Surrounded by reporters and cameras, Michael Peterson walks to the waiting microphones outside the court and stands still for a second, flanked by his sons, one of them carrying a young baby on one side, Margaret and Martha Ratliff, and his first wife, Patricia, on the other. I have waited over eight years, 2,988 days, as a matter of fact, and I counted for an opportunity to have a retrial. 
I want to thank Judge Hudson for giving me that opportunity so that I can vindicate myself and prove my innocence in a fair trial this time. I want to thank all the people who have supported me from all over the world. It's impossible for me to express my gratitude. What I want to do now, though, is to spend time with, you know, with my family and with my children. And certainly, at a later time, I'd be happy to talk with, with everybody and share more. Thank you very, very much. And with that, he turns and kisses the baby on the head, and with the ubiquitous French film crew in tow, he heads off into the night. Dwayne Diva, meanwhile, is working for $9 an hour at a supply store. Kathleen Peterson has been dead for more than a decade. Next time, episode 11, Alfred Schmalford. The legal battles go on. This is Beyond Reasonable Doubt, which is a Wise Buddha production for BBC Radio 5 Live. This is Beyond Reasonable Doubt. In Durham, North Carolina. On BBC. Radio 5 Live. 5 Live.